Tom Bernard Show with Doug Sprinthal, Andy Brant Bernard, Cassie Schrader. We'll be right back. Special guest Tim Tim Moore calling in. Fascinating subject, as a matter of fact. Doug Sprinthal, Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. What's happening, Doug? Well, we talked about this on the morning show uh, today, and I just wanted to touch base on it briefly again. Uh, the two newest dealerships in the Twin Cities we bought from Thane Hawkins, and it's the uh, Polar Chevrolet and Polar Mazda on Highway 61 in North uh, at White Bear Lake. Sorry about that. Uh, in the year that we've owned it, we built the we separated Mazda out of the Chevy building, built a brand new Mazda dealership right across the street. The grand openings in a week or two. They are already open, but you know all the free car giveaways that we are famous for doing will be in a couple weeks. Certainly, I'm kidding. Uh, and we're and then next up is we're going to remodel the Chevy dealership. So if you're in that neck of the Twin Cities and interested in the Chevy or Mazda, stop in and see the guys up there. Good plan. Walzer Automotive Group. Walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. I like it, ladies and gentlemen. The book is called Burning Down the House, H-A-U-S, Punk Rock Revolution and the Fall of the Berlin Wall. Tim Moore, it's M-O-H-R if you're going to buy the book, which you should. Tim, how are you, sir? Good, thanks. Glad to hear. I've had quite a day to tell you the truth, Tim, because I I do a morning show as well. (laughs) And uh, having you on is going to be fascinating. Uh, I just talked to Gary Busey. I think I'm the only guy in the country that can interview Gary Busey and have a good time doing it. (laughs) He's a great guy. Great guy, but he can get out there, if you know what I mean. But uh, also, this morning, I had a wonderful conversation with another guy who doesn't like to be interviewed, but I have a ball with him. Johnny Rotten was on the morning show this morning, so a lot of of good stuff going on. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, you know, this... uh... It, this story of, of East Berlin Punk actually makes the case that Johnny Rotten and the Sex Pistols were more significant in the fall of the Berlin Wall than Ronald Reagan's tear down this wall speech. <laughs> I like it. Hey, it worked that fine. <laughs> Whatever works is all I know. And burning down the house, punk rock revolution, and the fall of the Berlin Wall, renowned music journalist and award... Oh, here we go. Renowned music journalist and award-winning German language translator, Tim Moore. That's not nice. I'm, I'm being very nice. I just made that up, by the way. It wasn't written down. I just made it up as I went along, just to be nice to Tim. Yeah, nice to slip the renown in there, yeah. You know what's really, really great about this is i got to get to Whoever wrote this for you really likes you, I'll tell you that. Renowned music journalist and award-winning German language translator Tim Moore brilliantly captures this historic moment. So, yes, Tim, your brilliance and your... Uh, Renundity. Renundity. <laughs> is there renundity? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I absolutely. Well, okay, where did it all begin? What ha- I love, by the way, because I went through the book, uh, read the book, and, and I love your take on how this thing was driven by, uh, it's kind of play music or die kind of thing. People, They were really into this whole movement, this whole idea, the whole revolution, I guess, is what you could call it, right? 
Yeah, it begins with a 15-year-old girl who hears the Sex Pistols on British radio. You could you could pick up Western radio almost every place in East Germany, and uh, it was like a she felt like a, a switch had been flipped inside her. It was as if it, the music was speaking to her and saying things that she had already thought but didn't know how to articulate. And uh, after she heard it, she went and found a, a Western music magazine that somebody had stashed and saw a picture of the Pistols and decided that's the look I'm gonna I'm gonna put on. And she. She took the chain from a bathroom uh, toilet plunger, took a bunch of safety pins, put it on her clothes, including some across the tops of her shoulders as kind of epaulets. And then she showed up at school the next day with a crazy haircut and these safety pins across her shoulder. And someone walked up and said, good morning, Major. And that was her uh, <laughs> nom de punk then for the rest of her life. That is and the scene funny. built, it really grew up around her. She influenced her classmates and her neighbors. And eventually she was then the first, uh, among the first punks to be arrested because the Stasi saw them as a major threat. God, that is sort of getting people to veer off the, the preordained path. And what drove her? Why did she? Look, I mean, we all, we all follow our own path. That's very understandable. Why? How did this happen to her? Because she, she saw what? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, in you know, British punk, they talked about no future, about the way there was no place in society for right, a lot of kids right. because of the economic situation. In East Germany, the problem is exactly the opposite. Basically, the government had your whole life planned out for you, and so they used to talk about the problem as too much future. They just were trying to take control of the big decisions in their mm-hmm. life. They wanted to have a, a sense of um, self-determination. And punk, at first, it was like anybody who gets turned on by music. It was, a, it was for teenage kicks. It was just rebellious and fun and daring. But then the secret police cracked down on them because they saw it as such a significant threat, and that politicized the scene. And from that point on, it became a a full-on sort of political movement, including uh, it it entailed jailings, uh, beatings from the police. Some of the bands went to jail for up to two years for their anti-government lyrics. That is so amazing. The game uh, game changer. Yeah? Yeah, sorry. the The game changer then became that despite the beatings, despite the arrests, despite the jailings, they came back out, put the leather jackets back on, and kept fighting. And that was that was the game changer because the rest of the opposition-minded people then could see that it was possible to to resist and survive, and that that changed the game. At that point, people started to go more and more onto the streets, take the protest into the public eye, and that eventually snowballs into the demonstrations that we recognize from from TV in 1989 when the wall fell. What? Was the, the whole Elvis thing, and, and of course the, the words rock and roll were invented by African Americans. Rock and roll just basically means having sex. But when, when a young, handsome kid uh, from uh, Memphis and Tupelo, Mississippi originally, when he stepped up and said, no, we're not doing that, we're going to do it a different way, uh, they, people had a fit. The Beatles went through it because of what John Lennon said about Jesus. They went through the whole situation. So... Is, did it start? Did it start with Frank Sinatra and Bobby Soxers? Did it start with with Elvis Presley and rock and roll? Where did it all start originally? Well, the East German authorities were not fond of Elvis. I can tell you that, and there were also <laughs> bet, yeah. Ri- <laughs> yeah. and there were also riots in the '60s in, the, in East Germany because the kids were so into the Beatles. Um, that yep. the authorities saw that as a threat, and they banned um, beat and mod music, and that caused riots. But the punks were the first time that they saw it, that the secret police saw it as a kind of existential threat because of the way they were. Um, their presence, their physical presence, was always oppositional. So unlike a dissident writer or a dissident artist who creates a work, puts it out there, and then they disappear back into the background, any time a punk showed up on the street, they were voicing opposition. And that, I think, is what freaked out the police so much. Yeah, I could see that. What what I found interesting because I was I was a couple years old when Elvis broke, but I I went through the the situation watching him with the leather jacket uh, and the and the, the 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 hair, the big giant grease back hair and all the rest of it. And then when the Beatles came along, you know, ten twelve years later, whatever it was, they did the exact opposite. We're not going to have greasy hair stacked on top of our head. It's going to hang down, and that's the way we're going to revolt. And then when, when punk came along, a lot of that original Elvis appearance came along with it, don't you think? For sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and in case of, yeah. And it was so, in, in a situation in, like East Germany where everything was, it fit the stereotypes to a certain extent. The, most things lacked color because there wasn't, for one thing, there wasn't advertising in the street. So things were pretty great, just like the stereotype. And then here come these kids with their their hair spiked up and colored red and wearing crazy homemade yeah. versions of punk clothing. Yeah. 
I just, I, I don't know. I made a big mistake, and I, this is in a way tied to it, but I made a big mistake one time because <laughs> when Devo for, <laughs> first broke, okay, remember Devo breaking, right? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. I got a call, what was that, like 40 years ago, something like that? Yeah. Somewhere. 77. Yeah, 77, yeah, 77, 78. So I get a call from this young woman who I always found quite attractive. She said, hey, do you want to go see Devo? And even though I was working at Capitol Records, I had no idea who Devo was because they had just broken. They're at the Walker Arts Center in downtown Minneapolis. That's where they appeared. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I got to do some work. But then why don't I just meet you at the Walker and then we'll go to the concert and we'll go out and have dinner afterwards. I showed up. Tim, you're never going to want to talk to me again. I showed up at a Devo concert wearing a suit and a tie. <laughs> they probably thought you were doing it ironically. They so probably yeah, thought that it was helps. ironic. That's true. You know, I gotta well, say, that's Depeche Mode. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's Depeche Mode. That's I gotta different. say, "Burning Down the House" is a much easier title to say than the uh, German title of your book. <laughs> what is it? Which I yeah. couldn't even you begin know, to pronounce. So I'll leave that to you. I I tell you, um, as far as showing up in the wrong clothing, these bands played all their concerts in churches because churches were a safe space where the oh. police couldn't enter, at least not uniform police. And so you could say taboo things in churches, and that's where the, all the, the illegal punk concerts took place. But if someone did turn up in a suit, everyone would assume it was a Stasi guy who was uh, sort of trying Ooh. to write down the lyrics that they could use to charge you. Yeah, there couldn't you go. Couldn't they have done us all a favor and just gone after Jefferson Starship? Now, there's a band <laughs> that should have been in jail, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's amazing. And again, it ties in just to, happens to tie into my life. The fact that Germany's kind of been crabby now for about 100-some years, but maybe even longer than that. But my mother was 100% German. Uh, she was born in America, so she was, you know, the, the German lineage or whatever the hell it is. Um, so I've been around that kind of thinking. As a matter of fact, Tim, my, my grandmother, my mother's mother, Minnie, Minnie Dean was her name, and I was about four years old, and we were playing uh, Monopoly. Okay, so my German grandmother, who never did learn to read English, she—I'm uh, very happy to have—I I have a German language Bible that I got from her. It was her her communion Bible when she was six years old. So I mean, I, I love that, but she never learned to, to read or or write English. But we're play, we're playing Monopoly, and she rolls the dice, and one of them fell on the floor, and she said, "Tommy, pick up that dice." And I said, it's a die, Grandma. And she said, why don't you? <laughs> That's really nice. Grandmother talking wow. to a four-year-old kid like that. But she was a big German woman. Uh, she wasn't fat. She was just very tall, six feet tall, and, and actually quite muscular. But they do, the, the Germans, this, 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 look, uh, you know a lot about the German language, obviously. You're an award-winning German language translator. So, you know, and by the way, you were a renowned music journalist. I'd like to point that out again, too. But um, Yeah, if you could say renowned twice, that'd be great. Yeah, renowned, renowned <laughs> music journalist and award-winning German language translator. Um, what is it about the Germans that they always... Maybe it was the World War One and World War Two, but everything is a threat to Germans. I don't really understand that, but it is. What did that come well, from? Well, when it came to punk... I, I mean, I... In the context of East Germany, it just had to do with the fact that they they had a path ready for you, and they wanted everyone to stay on that oh, path. Oh, okay. And if you veered from it, okay. You know, they wanted to uh, nip that in the bud. As far as the language, I mean, I actually, unlike um, Minnie, I I didn't speak German. I, I moved to Berlin in 1993 just because it seemed like a cool place uh, where a lot was happening. It seemed like it was if one of these mythical political third ways was going to be found at that time. This was yeah. shortly after the fall of the wall. I thought maybe East Europe is the place where that's going to happen, and I was kind of curious to see, you know, maybe be there when that took place. But I didn't speak a word of German, and I picked it up while I was uh, DJing in the clubs over there. I was, basically, when I arrived, I was a typical kind of clueless American. I thought all of Germany was Oktoberfest. I thought I'd get out of the plane in Berlin, and everyone would be wearing lederhosen and swinging the giant beers around. Oh, I love it. I, it was, I was in for a shock when I ended up in one of these gray high-rises in, in the far east of, of Berlin instead. Oh. Yeah, how was that? I mean, it was it was not what you thought it was. You'd you'd made the commitment, 
so what what came next after you went well wait a minute this is not what i thought it was gonna be yeah well after my initial kind of uh shock i did find what was happening in the central parts of berlin in the 90s the uh, old buildings were mostly empty and people just took them over there was a lot of squats there were a lot of uh, impromptu clubs and bars and galleries and that's the world where i just sort of accidentally landed and that is also where i met the first east german punks almost all the first generation of clubs and bars that were started in the eastern part of the city after the fall of wall were, were founded by former east german punks they really pumped that do-it-yourself um, energy that they had uh, into the nightlife scene after the wall fell. You know, actually, I tell you, it's, uh, it is a fascinating... Tim, I'm a very lucky guy because I do a morning show and an afternoon show, and I, I talked to Johnny Rotten for about 15 minutes this morning, and he was just the nicest guy in the world. You know, he is who he is, so he, there's some oddity there. There's no yeah. question about that. But he's a hell of a nice guy. <laughs> And he, t- you know, we talked a little bit, not not for long, but about the the Lockerbie flight, that he and his wife were supposed to be on that flight, but they didn't make oh, wow. it. They didn't make it because his wife couldn't pack in time. So he goes, "Hey Tom, Tom, I'll just tell you something. I don't ever get angry with my wife when she's late packing. <laughs> I suppose not. <laughs> it saved your life, pal. So, I, but what a day! Talk to Johnny Rotten, get his take on you know." He, he, he loved the Sex Pistols, but he really loves Pill. He, he absolutely loves Pill, and he's yeah. still touring with them. And, and it's, it's how long, the life has been around now for, what, when did you say, the 15-year-old? That was, what, in the... In the she, mid- that was 1977, the Pistols were 76, yeah. Yeah, okay, so it was about the same time period. This needs to mm-hmm. happen for every generation, pretty much, doesn't it? I mean, it, does, it has to happen, doesn't for it? For sure. Yeah. For sure, and that's one of the cool things about this. This provides a, a concrete historical example of a bunch of uh, uh, kids with bad haircuts who are ba- basically able to change the world. So that's a, it's a, it's a pretty cool testament to the power of rock and roll. I think it is true, and, and you've never had to get a real job because of it. So that's good, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> just, where, did, where did you come from? when you, uh, you? Where did you leave when you went to Germany to live? Baltimore. I grew up on, uh, in, in Baltimore and then just wanted to try living abroad. And, and like I said, the uh, East Europe, since it was just after the fall of the wall, seemed like the most intriguing and exciting place. And uh, even though I had it all wrong, thinking I was going to be hoisting these giant beers, it turned out to be <laughs> for the best because I found this incredible scene. <laughs> Tim, you're the best, man. We've got to have you on more. Burning Down the House, H-A-U-S. So how do you say the, the book's title in German? Sterb nicht im Warteraum der Zukunft, which means don't die in the waiting room of the future, which was kind of a, it was a piece of graffiti they used to spray up, which is kind of a, a uh, cry against complacency. It was don't just sit around, do something, take action, let's change things. I think it's a wonderful thing. Tim Moore, M-O-H-R, the spelling of the name, burning down the house, punk rock revolution and the fall of the Berlin Wall. Fascinating stuff, Tim. You're, you're a great guest. Thank you, sir. Thanks a lot, Tom. Absolutely. It, it is interesting. We talk to people about that. The Bobby Soxers were looked at as kind of a big-time revolt. Oh, I think every generation has to figure out a yeah. way to piss off their parents, and it's getting harder and harder. You're right. Like, yeah, seen that, been there, done that. Yep, that's a redundant. That's true. We will be right back, Tom Bernard Show. It's Tom here to tell you how easy it was for me to hit my goal of 92.5-pound weight loss at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth with their weight loss plan. I started in March, and in just over five months, I learned about clean eating, and I now know the foods that work for me and the weight gain trigger foods. I'm now on the reset phase, and then on to the Nutramost Forever Maintenance Program, which I'll be talking about more in the weeks to come. Find out how to have success losing weight like I did. Attend the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth free informational dinner, it's on Monday, September 17th, 6.30 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. I'll see you there. Those extra pounds melt away really fast with this easy program. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth will guarantee that you lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. Nutramost helped me change my life, and they can help you too. I guarantee you that. Register for the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth dinner. It is on September 17th. Call 763-333-7337. That is 763-333-7337. 
A program that benefits the homeowner and not the realtor? Do you want a guaranteed offer on your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl, who has some exciting news to share. Hey, Tom, we are super excited to announce our guaranteed offer program. Here's how it works. If you qualify, we will guarantee you an offer on your house within 48 hours, which means you could be closing in three weeks. No staging, no cleaning, no decluttering, and of course, no open houses. This is your hassle-free way to sell your home. If you qualify for the program, you will get a competitive offer in 48 hours, period. Sounds like a stress-free way to sell your home. It is, Tom. Some homeowners want the convenience to be able to sell their home quickly without going through the stress of showings, open houses, and so many more headaches, especially if they found their dream home and need to sell fast. You do need to qualify for this program, but that's quick and convenient as well. To see if you qualify for the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate, go to chrislindahl.com right now or call 763-401-SOLD. Once again, that's chrislindahl.com, Chris with a K. Oh, there you go. Little sex pistols for you. I know. There you go. Hey, I was... 17 years old when this record came out. Yeah. The perfect age. Oh, yeah. Honest God, this came out in 1927. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. You yeah, walked it was, uh, Rudy Valley was on the flip side. <laughs> Winchester Cathedral. <laughs> Talk about a... I mean, they were... Sid and Nancy were the quintessential yeah. hard rock couple that... <laughs> I'm surprised they lasted and, well, lived as long as they did. Uh, it was so jarring when that came out and then the whole English... Uh, wave happened because you know the hippie era was over the Beatles were dead the Stones were becoming they were in a mediocre phase it was kind of like the beginning of corporate rock it was Mm -hmm. like the Eagles were ultra popular and then these guys came along it's like what in the hell is this Mm -hmm. and I hated it at first didn't understand it and then I started I kind of eased my way into it. I became an Elvis Costello fan, which really, really wasn't punk music, but it was more punk than well, yeah, Jeff Well, was. Well, was, if, it yeah. Was, it was, if it wasn't for punk rock, we wouldn't have Nirvana. Oh, that's we right. wouldn't no, have that's right. half the grunge bands we had in the 90s. That was kind of the, the new punk yeah, that's right. rock. So it, it, seems like, it seems like music goes in these cycles. So I'm hoping that type of music comes back, because what they have out today is crap. <laughs> Uh, now you're starting true. to sound like an old person. Though. I, oh, the music today is well, terrible, like, which is all, what your parents said when they were about your age. Well, no, it's not even music. It's all done by soundboards. There's it auto-tune. Is, yeah. yep. I mean, it's very rare. It, you have a lot of good singers mm-hmm. out there, but then they filter their voice so yeah, much. Yeah, they you sound don't, horrible. Yeah. You don't even hear. And then there's some they but do it because they has, suck. does that. It's an overused studio effect. Like the in wah, the wah, 80s, pedal? it was the big noise gate. Reverb on the snare drum. It was on every record. And then it's such a dated 80s sound, it's terrible. But for eight years, people couldn't get enough of it. Now it's auto tune, although I think it's finally starting to die out. One artist, the first time I ever heard Katy Perry was on the radio. I'm like, wow, she's a really good singer. The first time I heard her live, I wasn't there, but live performance on TV. She sounded horrible. Yeah, really? Wow. And so that tells me that they really do a lot to her voice. Huh. To make... They've gotten good at masking auto-tune, but it's still there. Yeah. It's still, so there's pitch correction going on. Yeah, she was... It's not like in the beginning days of auto-tune where they just kind of talked in monotone and then let right. auto-tune do it for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they try to sing, and it corrects the pitch when they're a little off. One, one uh, you know relevant artist i mean she's not touring much anymore is christina aguilera she does have a phenomenal voice mm-hmm. and they don't have to do much to her to There's get a, her going but the first time i realized found out realized how good she was herbie hancock had put out an album called oh, continuum her. in the like yep. 2005 and it was him doing duets john mayer's on there they do stitched up uh paul simon does a song on there christina aguilera did um, one of my favorite Leon Russell songs uh, called uh, Song for You. And she's just like, holy shit, who is that? Yeah, yeah. She... Flipped at the, I'm like, Christina Aguilera, that she can really sing like that? I yeah. Was floored at how good she So I have a question. Mm-hmm. When you were at the, uh, the concert with Katy Perry. No, I wasn't at a concert. I just saw a live performance. Oh, you saw a live performance. Yeah. Did you, do, did, you, did you do the Richard Pryor to her? Uh-uh. You go, Bitch, what's wrong with you? <laughs> 
<laughs> she was like so pitchy and all over the place. Oh, I'm like, really? wow, I sound so much better in my shower. <laughs> by the way, by the way, the bitch what's wrong with you by Richard Pryor. He's talking to the girl who's possessed by the devil in the exorcist. <laughs> bitch, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> they should have done a spoof uh Oh yeah. A oh, uh, yeah. black version of uh, the Exorcist. It was that called J.R.'s Revenge. Either J.T. or J.R.'s Revenge. Was that a derivative of the Exorcist? He was possessed by the devil. It was a it was a pimp. <laughs> it, was a, it was a pimp possessed by the oh, devil. Oh my God! I gotta see that. <laughs> Andy, will you look up and see if it's J.T.'s Revenge or J.R.'s Revenge, and and just read the storyline to us while I'm that would this. that would be phenomenal to see in a movie theater and like it was great. Yeah. It was fan- <laughs> JB's revenge. JB's revenge. G. JD's revenge. Okay, there you go. J- yes. JD's revenge. Okay. And what? what what's the, uh, the the plug line for the movie? Uh, here we go. JD. He came revenge. back from the dead to possess a man's soul, make love to his woman, and get the vengeance he craved. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. Are they showing any of the costumes they wore in the movie? Uh, oh yeah, I oh, I actually know what you're talking God. about. The uh, main character. Did he look his... like Huggy Bear? Oh yes, he did. He looked a lot like Huggy Bear, which is fantastic. He but... had like a beige suit, like zoot suit almost. At one point in the movie, he was wearing you know the big floppy hats that pimps mm-hmm. used to wear back in the seventies. He had one made of fur. <laughs> fantastic. I don't know. That's uh, that's a different culture, I guess. It's a di- well, I used to. Want, I went to all the. There was a movie called Honky. I went to that, and then there were a bunch of other ones that I can't say the name of because <laughs> you know I don't need the trouble. Is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you guys a question. And I'm, you know, Doug, you've been involved in music your whole life, and Andy, you sing "Walk Like an Egyptian," so that's. Good. <laughs> And then, oh, you've heard it. music before. You've heard music before, Andy. Explain this to me. So we we read a list of eight songs yesterday, eight rock and roll songs that are now uh, offensive. Mm-hmm. And one of them they mentioned was... Um, There's only eight? <laughs> no, I mean, as far as sexual harassment is concerned. The, the, the sexual uh, situations... Oh, is this going to be like that Clear Channel memo? That was so stupid. I don't know the Clear Channel memo. The Clear Channel, it's actually topical because it was the Clear Channel memorandum after 9-11 of songs that they didn't want radio stations to play. And they went a little overboard with, um, it was basically anything that included, well, like I'll say some of them, um, Highway to Hell. I would have because good. it involves going to hell, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Dirty deeds done dirt cheap. TNT. Um, Dynamite. When you're falling. Oh God! When you're falling. Oh. Smooth criminal. Smooth criminal. Walk like an Egyptian's on there because Walk it involves like the Middle East. Egyptian. Oh my God! Dun, dun, I'm not kidding. Obladi Oblada is on there. Why? I don't know. It's Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Ticket to ride. What? Oh, it's because um, Lucy in the Sky's talk. It's about taking LSD. Yeah, but Ticket to Ride. Actually, it yeah. isn't. I thought it's it was. Not, no. it, that's a coincidence, hmm. apparently. It is, yeah. Um, Rock the Casbah, because oh, Sharif know. is yeah. a Middle Eastern name. Sharif don't like it. Uh, <laughs> Julian Lennon came home when he was like five or six and yes. had a drawing. And John yep. said, what is that? And, he goes, and it was just a picture of a girl flying around. And he goes, mm. it's Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Yes. Oh, okay. You know, okay, I, I think I can work with that. I'm a musical genius. <laughs> you dropped a bomb on me. I love that song. Bad you religion. Bomb on me. Knocking on heaven's door. <laughs> oh my God. See you in September, because it's about oh, September. It's in September. You yeah. in September. If, if they could at all connect the song to 9/11, the Middle East, the month of September, you know, any of that, it, it was on the memory. Yeah, that was a Green Day song. Yeah. All right, so here's the deal. So they come up with a list of eight rock and roll songs you're not supposed to play anymore because they're offensive to women. Saw Her Standing There was one of them. Well, she was just 17, you know what I mean. Mm. I always assumed when I heard that song, it was a 17-year-old boy. It was one of the first songs that Lennon and McCartney wrote together. They probably weren't even 17 yet. They probably weren't even 17 years old yet. Please. She was just 17, you know what I mean? They're, they're offended by that now. There are several other ones that make no sense whatsoever. But my question for all of you is this. So white guys write songs about uh, 
You know, the Rolling Stones, Under My Thumb, that song has always been obnoxious. I mean, it, it just has. Under My Thumb, yeah, okay, you weigh about 110 pounds. Calm down. Uh, but anyway, I don't understand how you can attack rock and roll. Other than the fact it's written by white guys, I don't understand how how she was just 17, you know what I mean, is offensive, but bitches and whores in rap yeah. music is not offensive. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing there's well, not a whole lot of hip hop well, on that list. What I don't get is how they can limit it to eight songs. Well, there is that. Yeah, well, yeah there I is know. That. What was it during 9/11 when that happened? They banned. Um, God, what's the band that let the bodies hit the floor? Uh, the bodies—that's a great song. It is, but yeah, the they, could, they yeah. didn't want to play yeah. that because that was supposed to be released that day. Was it mm. was oh, it a really? release of that song that day? I, yeah. yeah, I remember something about that. God, who sang that? Was what? that oh, God. Corn the or hit the floor, let the body? Oh, was it great? Uh, song. Was up drowning pool? Oh, drowning. Okay, drowning pool. I couldn't remember if it was corn or ruined one their of those... career. Yeah, that's sad. It is really sad. I, I just don't... do you understand why it's okay for rap musicians to call women bitches and whores, but a guy says she was just seventeen. You know what I mean? Is offensive. Yeah. What is that? And they were 20 when they wrote that song. So, they were 20? Yeah. Probably the only offensive, not I don't take personal offense to it, but one that completely was like not on the radar 40, 50 years ago, but now it sounds pretty bad, is Baby It's Cold Outside, the Christmas song. Uh, yeah. That's uh, an overreaction, I think. I know. But I like spiked if you, your drink, baby, it's, <laughs> it's cold pretty, outside. But I mean, if you think about it, it's like, oh, that's a little creepy, but I like the song. Nice. Andy, would you, you look up something for me? I think maybe Run For Your Life by John Lennon was probably a little harsher. Yeah. yeah. You yeah, know, um... I'll be watching you. That song they think I'll is about a guardian angel. Catch you with another man. It's the end. Yeah, little, it's the girl. End. little girl. Yeah, I'll be watching you. No, is actually about a stalker. Are you talking about the police yeah. song? Yeah, yeah. It's about yeah, a stalker. Yeah. But people think it's like this romantic. Oh, you know. I know. I, I had. To, I think I told you this. I had to learn it for a wedding one time. I'm like, oh, yeah. That a yeah don't don't be well, it's playing that. Do the hustle. Thank God yeah. that was a played at weddings <laughs> forever. Andy, would you look up the age? the legal age to marry in England in the early 60s? Because I think it was 16 years old. Um, the age of consent, I think, was 16. Right. So even if it's 20-year-old men writing about a 17-year-old, it was completely legal. Yeah. Well, 17, still is, I think. 17, 16 is the age of consent in most U.S. states, too. Well, there you go. And, you know, if yeah, the 18 thing, I don't know where it came from because it's actually pretty rare for it to be that high. It is, yeah. Well, and if you think about it, a 17-year-old woman and a 20-year-old guy, that's only three years. Three years. Yeah. I mean, granted, they're yeah. not considered an adult. But if I had a 17-year-old, almost 18-year-old daughter, and she met a nice boy that was 19 or 20, I wouldn't, you know, shun her from seeing him. No. Now, if he was, like, well, you know, way older. but When I was 29, I met Catherine. She was 21, and we had a good time because she was more mature than I was. <laughs> They do say women mature faster <laughs> than I heard, men. I read somewhere that men hit maturity at age 39 and it lasts for approximately two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> About two weeks, that's enough. That's all you get. Well, the age of consent in England in 1275 was 12. Yeah, yeah. let's not oh, go with 12. Yeah, Lifespan was only 20. Yeah, that's, what, that's the thing. <laughs> you got to get started on having those aged. You got to get started on having those kids right away if yeah. 80% of them die. See, I just I don't Well, and the, uh, Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. Young girl, get out of my life. Or get out of my mind. My love for you is, is way, way out of line. Way, is way You're out of too line. young, girl. You must mm. yeah. So I never looked at that as being an old guy either. I just mm -hmm. thought they were talking about you're you're too young to get involved with a creep like me, you know, or just a well, they, what's the song? Young Girl by Gary well, Puckett and the Union Gap. Yeah, and he's singing probably He's singing the song in the perspective of, of him being a, you know, an artist. Dirty old perv. Well, no, on stage. <laughs> yes, that's it. I mean, how many ODB. 14, 15-year-old girls have had crushes on 30-year-old? Oh, I yeah. mean, look at Elvis. You had 12-year-old yeah. oh, girls man. losing their mind over Elvis, and he ended up marrying Priscilla. Who was, right? was she 16 when they got married? I think she was well, 16. Well, that's what that whole that other police song, Don't Stand Too Close to Me, is all about. Mm -hmm. a teacher and a... 15-year-old student. So <laughs> Sting was, he was kind of in a weird place now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah. Most Sting was in a very... World. Young Girl is about a girl who 
misled the singer into thinking she was not underage. Oh, see, there you go. But they're offended by it. What, was she put on a beard disguise or something? <laughs> I'm actually an old man. An old Italian Catholic woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so, so basically... She deceived him, yeah, but he's so the bad guy by saying, about, you're too young, girl. Yeah, she. they talk about perfume and makeup, and she lied about her age, and he found out, and now he's sad that the relationship has to end. So, so how are you offended by that song? The guy's doing the right thing. The girl did the wrong thing. Yeah. Good God. This is what I'm saying. As long as it's white guys doing it, it's horrendous. It's horrible. I mean, what the hell? I know when I was in high school... I know a lot of girls that pretended to be older than they were just to be with guys. I think that's so, true. You know, oh, yeah. In my, in my high school, there were, I know of several girls who were in relationships with men in their late 20s. And I was like, And they were oh, in high school? Yeah. Trollops. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> um, Well, that'll help, Doug. I'm sorry. Yeah, it'll help. The trollops. Now, gonna, now all the about. trollops are going to be calling in complaining. They call in anyway. <laughs> well, can a 17 year old and a 29 year old really have a real relationship? Yeah, I would argue no. That's we will be right just back. Too much. Yeah, it is. We'll be right back, Tom Bernard Show. John, I just got another complaint about our delivery service. Oh, not again. Yep, we have to do something about our courier service. You know, they're a reflection of us. What happened now? Well, you know that one driver that has the dog that rides with him? Uh-huh. Well, when he got out of his truck to deliver our package, his dog got out and delivered, well, uh, his own package, if you know what I mean. That's it. I want you to call... Priority Courier Experts, because, you know, they've got more than 500 drivers. And tell them we need... A professional, reliable courier service. And make sure they... Have Internet order entry and real-time tracking. You know, I had Priority Courier Experts account rep in here about a month ago. and Who knows how many accounts we could have serviced better if we had just signed up and started using the Twin Cities' largest, most reliable on-call courier service. What's that number? Because the next package is going with Priority Courier Experts. Already dialing 651-748-4477. Priority Courier Experts, can we help you? Can you ever. Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Yeah, here you go. What is Whoops, up with there this? There goes it. Yeah. Once again, Cassie drops Some of the these, ball. No, Some songs are mixed in a way that no, you're only phones getting half just, the signal. Yeah. I know, and it's so weird because like it works on my headphones just fine, but is it's these re- remastered albums, and that's all they have. They're all these, you know, remastered, and I don't know why it comes off that way. Who knows? Uh, you see that cable? Yeah, it works with every other song. It's, it's just well, some songs. This is, uh, I bet your headphone one mm-hmm. has got four of these it's on there. It's probably TRRS, yeah. Yeah, so it's like yeah. kind of like that added mic. You probably need a different cable. Well, Way we tried go, a TRRS cable in there one time, and it just it didn't, didn't work. work at all. Yeah, huh. so know. it's just one yeah. of those things. But yeah, one in every 20 songs is not that big yeah. of a deal. All right, so this is the latest now. It's, it's up declare. to 17 now. Ooh. Oh. Studies have shown that positive representation is crucial for marginalized groups in our society, for oh women God. and people of color especially. So this is BuzzFeed, the, then? Yes. Of course. Oh. Well, how about Ringo Starr singing Your 16 when he was in his 30s? But what's the song about? I mean, I guess. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, uh, the media constantly repackages damaging and repressive stereotypes in return. Media and art are how people, uh, our society, fight back and find their way to just uh, adjust truth. Despite 2004 being a year when hashtag Black Lives Matter made headlines and black women started campaigns like hashtag UOKSIS to combat street harassment, the uh, music industry remained largely unchanged. In fact, this year was a banner one for... This 2014 they're talking about. Um, was a banner year for uh, industry's long history of racist, sexist representation. Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. 
I don't even know what that song is. You know what Taylor, what Shake It Off is? I yeah. do. I just don't know what it's about. I've never paid that close attention. Uh, <laughs> some media outlets have dubbed 2014 the year of Taylor Swift, but for black women, the video for her lead single, Shake It Off, oh, yeah, she's looking up the, le- the between the legs of black women. I don't really understand why she did that in the video. What? Yeah, they're, they're, they're showing the video, and she's, she's laying on the floor. Looking up at the well, I, you know, I guess there are two white there are two white women and two black women, and she's staring up the skirt of a black woman. Hmm? So I don't know why. See that? Look at I me. Mean, there's a picture right here. Like why would what the hell is? That? I don't know why she would do that. I don't understand that? How about I don't know this song Vegas by Eminem. Well, Eminem. I mean, he got um, he made his career talking about murdering his mom. So. Oh, my God. This is why I hate rap so much. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. Unless you're Nikki, grab you by the wrist, let's ski. So let's what's it going to be? Put that Shiite away, Iggy. You're going to blow that rape whistle on, on <laughs> something. I don't even know what the hell it says. I love it before I get less with getting off like this is our exit. It's it not even wrong. <laughs> I mean, honestly, God, you got at least got to rock. Well, you forgot the best line: "The mickety max bickety back don't act wickety whack." <laughs> and you can get the fickety finger. I'm sitting here just imagining Patrick Stewart reading rap lyrics. Yeah, exactly. Great. <laughs> there they are now. Uh, I don't know. There's... You're lickety wicket. You're lickety wicket. It's just a song about how he hates Iggy Azalea. That's... Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, I won by Future Feet, Kanye West. Oh, so Kanye was in there. Interesting. Kanye was in there. Absolutely. Kanye was in there, too. Rude by Magic. I don't even know. Steal My Girl by Rude. One Direction. Rude. That's a good song. I said, nope, it's sorry. You're out of the mix, sister. <laughs> Rude by Magic. Magic's debut single, Rude, was one of the biggest hits of the summer, but beneath the cute faux-pop uh, faux reggae beat, the lyrics are troubling, to say the least. Do you know the lyrics? Some of them, it's basically Liar. a it's no, called, no, no, lies. He's Rude. um he wants to marry uh, this girl, and her father does not approve of him. By who? And, so is it about Catherine and me? Yeah. Thank you very much. And he's like me. by um, magic. Yeah. Yeah. And he's basically goes and says, "Look, I'm going to marry your daughter, whether you give me permission or not. Oh. You know, but I'm hoping that you would accept it, type of thing. Because he's like, okay. I'm going to marry her anyway." My favorite is still Fitz, who is the godfather of Andy and Alex. 6'6", six, six, about 350 pounds. And uh, a little hyper. A little hyper, just a little. He's one of those guys, I hope you're my friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he, um, he met Alex's boyfriend when she was about 16 years old. And he's got a voice like this anyway. He talks like this, so he goes, uh, yeah, kid. Um, he said his name, but I won't say the kid's name. He's innocent in this, but... He says, yeah, I just want you to know that, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm Alex's godfather, and um, I just want to tell you that whatever you do to her, I'm going to do to you. (laughs) (laughs) That's really nice. And I think the first time you heard that, Doug, you said, you're going to make out with me in the back seat? (laughs) I did say that. (laughs) I think you did say that, yes, wise guy that you are. Uh, So what do you got for Rude there, Andy? What? What about the lyrics is so obnoxious? Because I don't know the song. It's basically just what Cassie said. What? He asks permission, and if he says no, then he's going to marry her anyway. That's it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's really offensive. Apparently. Isn't Jason Aldean a country western singer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Burning It Down by Jason Aldean. Was he the guy that was on stage at Mandalay Bay? I think so. I think oh, you're right. Oh, yeah. Yep. I think he is. I think you are right about that. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't do any more of these songs because I've never heard of any of these people in my entire life. So leave me alone. Get away from me. Um, do you think part of the reason these songs are, are looked down upon now is because for that generation it was a way to revolt, and this generation doesn't agree with that kind of revolt, so therefore it's horrendous? I don't know. I'm, I'm just asking because I don't know. I don't know. So many of these lists and stuff you see on the Internet really are just clickbait. Yeah, they just are. Trying exactly. to, that was just totally, trying to get you to hang on. That's to, very that true. That was 100% clickbait. So when they was. know that people like us will just get offended because they're insulting the music of our youth. Yeah. The music of my youth, well, like Taylor Swift. Well, yeah. Taylor Swift's yeah. song, Shake It Off, um, I mean, I don't 
think it's a bad song at all. It's just basically like, say, whatever people say to you, just shake it off. Shake it so off. So what's don't wrong let, with that? I don't know. I don't know why people. Sounds kind of like a positive and message, she, well, actually. In the yeah, video, she's me. trying to, like, um, you know, visualize stereotypes and all that. And mm. they're just like, hey, you have stereotypes. Somebody pokes fun at them, just shake it off. It's not, you know, th- that's how I perceive it. Okay. You're a football coach, aren't you? Yes. And you don't want to read this story that's on the wire right now. Hit caused a concussion at 12. He was dead by 13. Oh. Don't give me that look. It's not my fault. I just. I know. We take. Oh. Whenever a kid bangs his head, if they, you know, are on the ground for any short period and we think they may be injured, we pull them off the field. Yeah. And we do have um, medical staff at the field that will do an assessment, especially if a kid says, I hit my head or whatnot. So we just take the helmet off, um, let them sit, and we just we don't even put them back in the game. I, I had to yeah. I take a lot of online certification classes to coach a couple mm-hmm. years ago. I did too. Vegan. I think it's, kinda, it's a good thing, actually. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of yeah. times kids don't uh, – Yeah, they don't Bad know. concussion they don't symptoms don't – happened for a couple hours later but you don't want to risk hitting that head again if a concussion is in progress so i'm constantly checking the kids do you feel nauseous are you seeing okay is it get the pain getting any worse so i'm who am i yeah who are you well this news article is actually about a kid who killed himself not just died. So. Oh, he killed himself because of the head trauma? Yeah. And so the parents are trying yeah. to blame the concussion, but you can't really say that definitively. Nah, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. By the way, you couldn't see it on camera, but Cassie gave me this dirty look like, leave football alone. I yeah. love football. I love I it. Either. I love it. I got you practice know. tonight. We got a game Saturday. There we you go. We are 3-1, and one, our team. Um, the last two games we've won by one point. Ooh. So, that's a good thing. Yeah, they've been playing pretty good and pretty hard. Norm McDonald is apologizing for his apology. Don't do it. After initially coming under fire for saying he was happy, happy the hashtag MeToo movement has slowed down a bit, among other things, the comedian has come under more fire for saying on the Howard Stern show, you'd have to have Down syndrome to not feel sorry for sexual harassment victims. Why oh, would you normie. say that? Norm, Norm, Norm. Why would you for a moment think that that's okay to say? So he's, he's on the news down, now. He's I putting guess. down one group of people to yeah. up the other one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love Norm McDonald. Norm, shut up. Uh, on The View Thursday, he explained, uh, he's on The View this morning apparently, he explained that the comment came during an appearance on the Howard Stern Show and that there's a thing with Howard where there's a recklessness in the studio there used to be a word we would all say to mean stupid that we couldn't say anymore. Uh, you know the word I'm talking about. Stupidly, I was maroon? about to say that. Yeah, maroon. Yeah, you maroon. That was Bugs Bunny's favorite word, actually. Mm-hmm. You, what are you hillbilly, you, you maroon. <laughs> was that supposed to be him mispronouncing moron? Yeah. Or was that actually an insult before Bugs no, Bunny? No, I don't I think. think, I think, I think, I think he made, made it up? I think you're right. I think maroon is supposed to be moron. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure. Did you know that when he called Elmer Fudd Nimrod, that's not actually an insult, technically? Nimrod's a town in northern Minnesota. I know that. Nimrod was a uh, Greek mythological hunter. So it was like saying, it was like calling a dumb person Einstein. But Nimrod (laughs) just sounds like an insult, so people Mm -hmm. assumed it meant stupid person. Because of Nim and Dim. Nimrod. So there you go. Nimrod. Norm, do me a favor. Just be yourself and shut up. Yeah. Because you're a very funny man. But first of all, saying you'd have to have Down syndrome. Why? Why would you even think? If that pops into your head, don't you go, no, I'm not saying that. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I'll use Negro instead. Yes! Yes, absolutely. Let's go with that. Um, I don't know. The whole thing. Just uh, whatever. But now The Tonight Show looks like a bunch of heroes because they nixed his appearance, uh, what, on Tuesday night, I think it was? He was going to be, or maybe it was last night. To the chagrin of thousands. Yeah, yeah, thousands. Yeah, really. I don't know. Norm McDonald can be a very, very funny guy, but he needs to get his head out of his ass. That's, That's just bizarre behavior. But he's always had bizarre behavior, as I told you. 
I, I tell you what, we had him in studio a couple of times at KQRS. He's a very good guy. I tell you, I was, I was talking to a guy last week, and he, I mean, that's how he really <laughs> talks. Well, it can't be an act. Nobody can. No, that's true. Nobody would talk that way on purpose. Remember, he was the brother of the dad on uh, on uh, what the hell's the name of that show that was so great? We loved watched every episode. It took place in Indiana. It was a very poor family in Indiana. The middle. The middle. Yeah, oh, the middle. exactly. The middle. He was the. We father. just started watching that. We're only into like third or fourth season, it's so he fantastic. hasn't showed up yet. He is that that show's fantastic. He hasn't showed up yet. <laughs> he hasn't showed yep. up yet. He hasn't. Brick. Oh, Brick, yeah, talking to his chest. Yeah. <laughs> he Now, he is a great kid. Yeah, we had him on a couple oh, did of years you really? ago. Oh, yeah. Attica Schaefer is his mm-hmm. real name. And I said, yeah, nice name. That's really great. Uh, you, got a, you got a racist. He goes, he was not a racist. He was a separatist. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. Along with almost everyone back then. Uh, yeah, so. along with everyone back then. You're Well, that's true. You're right about that. Yeah. Blacks and whites. Yeah, we, I don't know. Do we still like hanging out with one another? I don't know. No, I, I do. Doesn't I, seem to be. No, it doesn't seem to be right because now, now literally, anything that a white man does is horrible. It's absolutely horrendous, and it's the worst thing ever that happened of all time. It's like what? Why don't you take people individually? I mean, isn't that a good idea? I know it's it's the pendulum swinging. Hopefully, it'll swing back. Yes. Could we just settle in the middle where everyone just shuts up? That'd be good. We, yeah. just, we need a new enemy, basically. We don't have something to care oh, about, true. so we care about stupid things. That's true. There, but there's nobody left to attack. We've attacked every country in the world, so what are we going to do? You know, there's, mm. there's no fun to be had anymore by attacking anyone. So I don't know. It, it, the whole thing just, uh, it's rather upsetting. Let me just say that. That's fair to say, isn't it? I would think so. I don't know. I, all I know is, and I was very honest about this when, when uh, Tim Moore was on. I, I've had a hell of a day because I, I started off by, by interviewing, you know, Johnny Rotten. And then Ryan Hamilton's one of my favorite people in the world. He's going to be on tomorrow on this show, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, you know, doing the Arsenio Hall. That was a great interview because of Arsenio Hall. He just did a great interview. I, t- I said this off air. My favorite line of his, he was talking about the presidential election he goes yeah you know hillary clinton and donald trump it's like picking your favorite menendez brother i thought that was just brilliant that was very smart and then he goes after philly dog philly dog that sounds like a guy who'd do drugs (laughs) (laughs) and philly i don't do any drugs well it sounds like a guy that'd do drugs (laughs) like okay in any case uh yeah i mean with the morning show and doing this show it's a there are days that it's just fantastic so thank the listeners for that we will talk to you later the tom bernard show